thanks to so many of you who have come around me and my family this week as we've walked through some things. Uh, in particular, I just want to give a shout out to my Wednesday night guys who helped me to weather a bit of a challenge that I had that sprung up at the last minute on Wednesday night. And uh, thanks to many of you who have been asking about uh, some of the things that are going on in my family. But today we're going to be looking at the story of Jairus in chapter 5 of Mark. And it is a story of faith and family. But it's a story of faith and family in the face of tragedy. And so I just wanted to let you know, as I began preparing for this sermon a few weeks ago, little did I know that the message would, would parallel my own, my own story. The message in this story would parallel uh, my own story so closely this week. Some of you know that my, uh, my nephew uh, lost his companion uh, this week. His sons lost their mother. Uh, some of you know the boys. They come with my sister most Sunday mornings here to uh, Crestmont. And just a few weeks ago, we all stood up here, many of us stood up here as we dedicated children to the Lord, and we, we prayed uh, for, for those two boys. Interestingly enough, some of the things that were prayed, I understand why those prayers came the way they did, facing what we're, we're facing right now. You know, <clears throat> as I've ministered to my family this week, this passage has been so instructive. The, the faith of Jairus has been a light to me in some pretty dark moments. And I believe his example is instructive for all of us this morning. And so, Stand with me. Let's pick up the story in verse 21 of Mark chapter 5. I'm going to read from verse 21 to 24, and then we're going to pick the story up again in verse 35. In verse 21, it says, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and will live. So Jesus went with him. Then in verse 35, it says, While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He didn't let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing and being loud. And he went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. You can be seated. Now, there are a number of ways that this passage can be approached. We could approach it this morning from the perspective of Jesus' great power and authority to heal. 
We could approach it from the perspective of Jesus' willing compassion to engage a family in suffering. But this morning, I want to look at the example of faith that Jairus leaves to his family. You know, the more I've pondered this story over the last several days, the more personal it's become to me. I've already mentioned our family crisis. But you know, this story has another layer that lands in uh, an even closer way to me. You see, I just read that Jairus' daughter was 12, and she was his only daughter. You know, my only daughter is 12. And if I'm being honest with you, as I studied this passage this week, I believed and just felt deeply that Jesus was saying some very specific things to me about my own family. And so as we look at this story this morning, you know, I do want to say that I've probably identified some with Jairus's pain. Certainly I have identified with his hope for his family's future. But I, I couldn't help but notice a picture of his faith developing and how likely it was that it impacted his family and his daughter more particularly in a very powerful way. Made me want to understand how God was at work in Jairus. It made me want to learn from him and see how his faith could be instructive to me. Now, the point that I want to make this morning is that like Jairus, your faith and my faith will shape the next generation. And I'm so glad that Ed prayed the prayer he did because it's faith anchored in those truths that will help us to lead well. The next generation does not need to see us hand-wringing but they do need to see us practicing some of these things that are so evident in, in Jairus' life. So what kind of example are they seeing in us this morning? Now, I see three aspects of faith uh, taking shape in Jairus' story that we all can learn from. Uh, first, his faith, faith was marked by spiritual hunger. Second, it was influential in the home. And third, it was not afraid to love when things got messy. Now, it's obvious as we look at this text that Jairus' spiritual hunger stood out in the crowd, did it not? I mean, here is this synagogue leader, this Jewish religious leader, and he had authority, he had responsibility over the place where all of his people came to study and worship, not unlike this place. And, you know, you see in his journey of faith that even in this mix of spiritual and religious people, that his spiritual hunger set him apart. Something about his hunger made him different from everybody else that was in that synagogue. 
I mean, let's be honest. It was fine to go to synagogue. It was encouraged. It was good. It was what was expected. But it was unexpected to passionately pursue after this person, Jesus. I mean, it wasn't what you normally saw with the regular synagogue attenders. They were skeptical of Jesus. It certainly wasn't true of the religious leaders. They had something against him. They didn't like that he taught differently than they did. They didn't like that uh, people who had been listening to them were now beginning to listen to him. And so looking at Jairus' passionate pursuit of Jesus in this mix is telling to us. And what it tells us is that it put him outside of the social norm of his everyday relationships, of his everyday friendships. The people that he did life with, his spiritual hunger now put him out of tune with the rest of them. I want to ask you this morning, have you ever done something that has made you stand out in a crowd? Have you ever found yourself feeling different from the people around you because of a growing spiritual hunger in, inside? If you have, you can relate to Jairus. I mean, here he is, and apart from a divine breakthrough in his life, his 12-year-old daughter is going to die. And he is desperate, and he was sure that the best solution that he could find in his moment of crisis was to go directly to Jesus, to seek his presence. And so he goes after him with, with a passion. Now, I, I looked at this passage this week, and I said, Lord, you know, there have been times where I have felt uh, out of desperation passionate to seek you. But I'm not sure I always feel that way. And maybe some of you are thinking the same thing. Maybe you're thinking, you know, I'm not that passionate. I'm not that spiritually hungry because right now I don't sense that great a need in my life. But listen, don't underestimate your need. It's more nuanced than you think it is. It's more uh, full than you think it is. Now, you know, a mentor of mine once pointed out to me that the kind of spiritual hunger that marked Jairus' faith actually has two sides. Now, I want you to pay attention here. On the one side, his spiritual hunger, his, his faith that was marked by a spiritual hunger on one side, it was characterized by a broken presence. On the other side, it was characterized by hope for a preferred future. Now, Jairus entered into his spiritual hunger on the path of a broken presence. I mean, none of us would look at this story and, and think otherwise. I mean, things were so bad in his circumstances that unless Jesus 
broke through. It wasn't going to be good. She was going to die. And so Jairus was a broken man. I want to ask you this morning, have you ever been broken? Can you identify with this man's journey? Have you ever been broken? Maybe, let me ask, have you ever been broken by your own personal sin? Something that is going on in your life that is wreaking havoc. Have you ever been broken by somebody else's sin or immorality or negative impact on your life? Have you ever been broken or or distraught by circumstances that were beyond your control? If you have, and I suspect that many of you have, then you can enter into hunger for God through a broken presence. But you know, brokenness is not the only prerequisite for spiritual hunger. Hope, hope can also be a catalyst. I mean, Jairus also had hope. You know, maybe you're not in some deep struggle right now. Jairus was, but maybe you're not. Do you know that you can still enter into spiritual hunger through hope for a preferred future? Uh, Did you know that your hunger can be stirred in you when you realize that God has more for you than what you are experiencing right now? He can stir your hunger that way. Look, no, maybe you're not facing hard times this morning, but who among us, who among us here this morning does not want to be used by God to bring more into a world that's in trouble? More of his hope, more of his faith, more of his love. I mean, maybe you're not suffering, but tell me, or let me tell you, that God wants to use you. He wants to use you to help you lift somebody else up out of their own suffering. He wants to use you to encourage somebody else and to build the faith of the people around you. He wants to do that. And if you hope for that kind of thing, let him stir your spiritual hunger for that. So let me ask you this morning, can you imagine the impact that Jairus's spiritual hunger had on his daughter? Can you only imagine it? I mean... Can't you just imagine this little girl saying at some point past this moment, can't you just imagine her saying, Daddy, I am so glad that you went after Jesus the way that you did. I'm so glad that you were willing to be different. I'm so glad that you were willing to press in when nobody else would go with you. I'm so glad. Dad, it's it's made all the difference in my life. 
In fact, it's why I'm here. I mean, can you imagine the impact on his daughter and his family? You know, <laughs> I, I've found that when the spiritual dinner bell of my life needs to be rung, fasting often awakens me to my appetite for God. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, is it any secret that I love a good meal? I love to eat. I didn't get to when I was growing up. I wrestled and was constantly battling a scale, but in my adult life, I probably look at them less than I ought to. But I, I love a good meal. I love the holidays. I love family celebrations. I love Thanksgiving and sitting in front of a TV and overeating and watching football all day. I love that stuff. So don't hear me saying that I'm, I'm some kind of ascetic that doesn't know how to celebrate. But, you know, sometimes too much of a, a good thing can dull us spiritually. How many of you have ever experienced that? How many of you have just filled up so much on other things that you've got no room left for, for God? You see, fasting is what you do when you want God more than anything else. You see, our appetites dictate the direction that our lives take. They impact things. You know, whether it's our physical cravings or whether it's our hunger for power, or whether it's our hunger for God. And I, I just want to say this morning, if we don't feel hunger for God, it's likely that our, our lesser hungers have taken a place of prominence that they don't deserve. I want to encourage you this morning as we head into a new year. To, to consider with me this thing of fasting. I'm not going to talk much about it today, but I just want you to consider this as we head to a new year. We're going to talk about it as we cross over into January. Um, hey, enjoy the holiday parties. Celebrate Thanksgiving and Christmas. But, but let's ask God to stir our spiritual hunger because our spiritual hunger, the, the level of our spiritual hunger will impact the next generation. What they see in us will mark their, first, their faith journey as they move forward. And it may make all the difference for their journey, as it did for Jairus' daughter. Now the second aspect of Jairus' faith that I want to point out is how influential it was in the home. Listen, most of the commentators that I have read on this story all agree that Jairus likely met Jesus and began to form his opinion of Jesus in the synagogue. They would say that he probably first you know, set eyes on Jesus when Jesus came and began to do ministry. He saw Jesus heal. He saw Jesus operate in power encounters with other people's lives as he, he deeply ministered to them. And so Jairus would have formed his thoughts about Jesus in, in church, if you will. 
But he didn't leave that opinion at church. He invited that impact into his home. It certainly wasn't true of most of the religious synagogue regulars. It wasn't true of the leaders of the synagogue either. But Jairus would simply not allow his family to be denied the benefit of the presence of Jesus in his home. I mean, he was willing to do everything that he could to open the door to Christ at home. He he welcomed him to have authority over his family life. You can't help but notice this in verses 38 through 40. If you just look down at your Bible and, and take a look here, you see that when Jesus entered the home of Jairus, he was actually given the authority in Jairus' home by Jairus to tell people what they could and couldn't do. I mean, he sent some people out and he said some come in. I mean, he just kind of came into this situation and he started moving pieces around. Now, I don't know if you've ever been around another family that's grieving, but if you're not part of the family, and sometimes even if you are the part of the family, try doing that. But nonetheless, Jairus gave him the authority to do that. And I find that part of the story really telling about the kind of faith that Jairus had. I mean, then and now, it's just not that typical that a man gives somebody else that kind of authority in his own home. But Jesus, or but Jairus recognized who Jesus was, and he honored his authority. He, he humbled himself under the leadership of Jesus. I want to ask you this morning, Mom, Dad, Grandma, Grandpa, are you allowing Jesus to bring into your home what he desires to bring into your home? And are you allowing Jesus to take out of your home what he wants to take out of your home? You see, as it was, In this story with Jairus, so it is with us, Jesus wants to be more than just an unseen guest. He wants to come in and dramatically impact the course of the future. He wants to come in and dramatically answer prayer. He wants to come in and bring healing where healing is needed. You know, I I get to this time of the year and... I am the son of my mother. She likes to buy presents, and so we buy presents. We do what mom says. I kind of like presents, and you know, I would have to say I probably got a little bit from my mother that way, and I like for my kid to have presents. But can I suggest to you this morning that there is something more important than presents? It's called presence. You see, God wants to bring his presence into our home 
and our kids need God's presence. They need His healing presence. They need His forgiving presence. They need the presence of God that comes and begins to affect change where there's bitterness and where there's unforgiveness and where there's hopelessness and where there's rebellion and where there's anger and deception. That's the best presence that we can see our kids receive. I'm convinced of this. Now, if I'm, if I'm being honest with you this morning, I have to admit that sometimes it's not that easy to receive that presence. I, I would like to tell you that it was for me, but the truth is sometimes it's easier for me to come into my home and do things in the way that I've always done them. Sometimes I think I'm bringing this great impact on my home by keeping certain things out, keeping certain influences out, protecting. You know, and that's not a bad thing. That, that's a good thing, but, but it's not... It's not presence. You know, sometimes it's easier for me to manage my home than to invite God to come and manage my home. You know, if, while I'm on a roll, sometimes it's, it's easier to stand here in front of you and welcome the presence than it is to stand in front of my own family and welcome the presence. I don't know why. It probably has something to do with the hazards of vocational ministry. You know? You don't want to do at home what you do all day long. But let me tell you, I know that's not good. And I know I have to stand against that in my home. I know I have to war against that kind of passivity. What I mean by passivity well passivity is is inactivity you know it's it's having no plan for spiritual growth in your own home and for your own family it's leaving all the spiritual influence to the church or to the christian school I mean, spiritual passivity is essentially a form of, of laziness and when we're spiritually passive, we're, we're just not operating in the spiritual leadership that God has given us over our own homes. And Jairus fought and stood against that kind of passivity. You know, recently, Luann and I took Maddie along on a, a ministry assignment that we had together. And we were praying uh, for somebody and God showed up in a dramatic, uh, specific, powerful answer. I mean, he, he showed up. I don't know how else to say it to you, but he showed up. And the person we were praying for knew that he was God. And Maddie saw the whole thing unfold. And a few days later, we were talking to her about it. And she said something to me that I'll never forget. She said, she said, you know, Dad, 
um, you know, sometimes I, I have questions. And, and Dad, sometimes I wonder if our faith, I wonder things about our faith. Like, I wonder, is it true or did somebody just make it up? And she said, sometimes I have that in my mind. And I was, I was having those thoughts not too long ago. And then when we went and we saw that thing happen, she said, I, I feel like God answered me. Do you know that you can't do that? Do you know that you can't have, like, you can't make your kid think that. That's the work of God. And, you know, I, I looked at her and I said, yeah, hon, I, I, think, I think you're right, hon. I think you're right. I think he did answer you. What I want to say to you, church, is listen, God loves families. He loves to bless families. And the primary way that God wants to bless your family is to make himself known to them. And he wants to lead each one of your family members into an encounter with him. That's what he did with Jairus. And that's what he did with Jairus' family. And that's what he wants to do with your family and my family. And let me just encourage you this morning to do everything that you can to open the door to Christ in your home. Yes, teach truths, but, you know, Clarence stood up here last week and he said, referring to a, a Francis Schaeffer book, he said, God is here and he is not silenced. Engage in a dialogue with him in your home. Let your family see him respond. And the third aspect of Jairus' faith that I want to draw attention to this morning is that it wasn't afraid to love when things got messy. You know, it was love that compelled Jairus, to, that compelled Jairus to leave the side of his daughter. I mean, what else? What else? I mean, I have a 12-year-old daughter, my only child, and I can tell you that walking away from that bedside in that moment must have been excruciating. I mean, it must have been absolutely heartrending. I mean, who knew what was going to happen? I mean, it's easy to read a couple of verses, but who knew? I mean, Jairus had expectations, he had hope, but did he even know that he would find Jesus? Fortunately, he did. But before they could even get back to the house, the little girl died. And, and it must have been absolutely overwhelming. You know, one time, Maddie hyperventilated in a hotel room from a weird accident, and she blacked out for like 25 seconds, and she went ashen. And I thought she was dying or dead. And I... I absolutely lost myself. And so I'm, I'm just totally impressed with Jairus' ability to stay on task, to love his family well, and get his little girl into the presence of Jesus. And so finally they get to the house, and Jesus shares some words of comfort to all those who are grieving. 
And you know what the text says? It says that they all laughed at him. How do you think Jairus felt in that moment? How do you think Jesus felt in that moment? I mean, have you ever been laughed at? Have you ever, been, have you ever tried to love well and you, you just realize that your efforts are mocked? I mean, it must have felt like insult on top of injury for Jairus. He must have wondered if, if this trouble was even going to be worth it. I mean, he, he must have wondered if the risk was going to pay off, especially when Jesus shows up and says, you, 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 Uncle Bob and Sally. I mean, you have to wonder if he, if he thought, is this going to turn out? You know, I, I suspect those were messy moments for Jairus and for his family, and I suspect he wondered if any of it was going to work out after all of this trouble. And I suspect that you have wondered the same thing. I suspect that you've wondered a time or two when you've tried to love friends or family in the name of Jesus. I suspect that you've found yourself in a few messes before if you have followed him because he likes to go where it's dark. He just does. It's his track record. Well, fortunately for Jairus, the tension resolves. The healing comes. The miracle happens. But that's not always our experience, is it? I mean, it certainly hasn't been mine this week. I presided over a funeral on Monday, not a healing. And, you know, there were times where in dialogue with the Lord this week, I said, Lord, this thing is getting really messy, and I don't know how to love moving forward. What do I do? And he took my attention, and I want you to take a look at this if you've got your Bible open. He took my attention to verse 24. What's that verse say? Now, here I'm having this conversation with the Lord, and that's what my mind comes to as I'm calling out to him, and I read it, and it just says that Jesus went with him. And I said, Lord, I don't get it. I mean, two little boys have lost their mom. This is no time to be cryptic. And help me out here. And into my thoughts came these words. And, you know, I, I think Jesus said, listen, that's how you keep loving. My presence was with Jairus. And my presence will be enough for you. And I said, Lord, I know that truth. But I'm still struggling with this. And that feels a little bit like a bumper sticker. My family's in crisis. Is that all you got? And then all of a sudden, this strange memory surfaced in my mind. I mean, sometimes things come up out of your mind in grief that surprise you. 
And although I would attribute the recall to the Lord, I also, also think I've got to give partial credit to Clarence Rossi. Now, Clarence last week kept referring to Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Nazi Germany, and into my mind came this recollection of a book that I had read on World War II. And there in that moment, I saw three words that I had read in that book. The three simple words were scratched onto the, we- onto the wall of cell number 1632 in cell block 11 in Auschwitz. That terrible place where so many people perished in the dark. And on the back of the wall of that small cell, there is a cross etched on the wall. And scrawled under the cross are these words. Jesus was here. And you know, church, at times the chapters of our lives can spin into chaos. I mean, we can find ourselves in the messes that others have created. We can find ourselves in the messes that we have brought on ourselves. But over every darkened moment of our life, it is as if the Spirit of God has scratched on the wall, Jesus was here. And if you find yourself in a mess this morning, John, if you'd come. If you find yourself in a mess this morning, like Jairus, you can take comfort in his presence. I mean, look to the cross this morning. Look to Jesus. Look to him. Jesus did not merely die on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. Because of the cross, his love is also available to you in your pain. Because he has stepped into the moment of pain. When Jesus died on the cross, he stood in solidarity with every moment of pain that you or I have ever felt. Every dark moment that we've ever gone through, every moment of suffering that we've ever endured. The cross scrawls over the walls of our life. Jesus was there. He was there. Today, I want to ask you, in your darkened moment, in your unhealed memory, ask Jesus, where were you? And he'll say to you, I was there. I was there. church there's nothing that you're going through that he doesn't understand there's no mess that's too messy for him there's no darkness that's too dark and there is no death that he cannot use to shed the light of his resurrection power into the world when it gets messy stand in his love stand in his love anchor yourself in his love And let him love people sacrificially through you.
Let his suffering love guide you as you seek to lead those who you love into a vital encounter with him. Let me pray. Lord, thank you that there is no time, no moment, that you yourself are not with us. Thank you that you've promised that you will never leave us or forsake us. Lord, thank you that when we don't see another way, you are the way. You're the way. Help us to abide in you.